Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today on Around the Coin, I interviewed Jorge Garcia. Jorge is the CTO and co-founder of Hello Ionic. Hello Ionic has helped tons and tons of companies, large and small, everywhere from Coca-Cola, Disney, ABC, Fox, and more, all the way down to small companies, specifically in payments and fintech, crypto included, help build out their technology platform. And this could be product strategy, design, engineering, research, or other. There are about 70 people now They've been around for over 10 years, and Jorge has a very unique perspective into the landscape of crypto and fintech and payments because they're building these companies, these products from the ground up. And so I really enjoyed Jorge's unique perspective. Uh, We talked about the direction crypto is going, the common patterns of engineering problems that are occurring in the crypto space and the payment space at large. Uh, I learned about the immigration process. Jorge uh, immigrated to the U.S. recently, and we talked about that process as well as a few other topics. So very much enjoyed this one, and I hope you do as well. Here is Jorge Garcia. All right, Jorge, thanks for hopping on today. I'm really excited to to chat with you more. Um, you mentioned pre-show, we were discussing you're, you're in Philly now, you're from L.A., and you just took a trip to South by in Austin. Uh, we're recording this on March 18th. How, what was the vibe of South by is maybe in respect to the organization coming out of a pandemic, out of a pandemic, wherever we are now, uh, how was the event? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, well, uh, thank you, Mike, for having me. Definitely happy to be here. Uh, yeah, no, South by was, was great. I mean, it, I think it was the first one after, uh, pandemic, so so they had to cancel. If you see the dates, they had to cancel right in the middle of like when when it all started. Uh, I think it was great, like a lot of people attending. I've been a couple of more times. Definitely was less than previous years, but there was there was a significant audience. I think that's one thing you could tell that people just wanted to hang out, uh, go to the talks, go to the parties, of course. Uh, I mean, it was, it was great. I did talk with some locals and they were also like happy just to, I mean, that helps the economy as well. So, so I think it was just a general, uh, festivity. I, I think that was, that was cool. There was also a lot of m- like meetups, uh, Inc. Magazine had the Inc. House, uh, Capital Factory had uh, their event as well. There was a FinTech house as well. I know there was a crypto house. So you, you could tell that there was like, the South by general, but also like those specific uh, per topic kind of uh, 
places. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and certainly South by splits it up into three different categories, tech being one of them. How big was crypto within that? Was, was crypto a, a, a huge presence, would you say, or did you have to go and look for it to find it? It, it was huge. Uh, so, so if, if every time that I go to South by, there is this specific topic, right? Like a f- couple of years ago was, um, uh, the 3D printing, for example, and then VR hit at some point in AR. Uh, this year was a lot of crypto, uh, like uh, Doodles had a house. Uh, basically, they they had like a whole uh, store with Shopify. Uh, there were many, many talks about crypto. Many companies were doing things with NFTs. Uh, I think, honestly, I think that probably one of the main subjects, if not the main subject in South by this year was, uh, was crypto for sure. Yeah. Mm. Did you learn anything specific coming out of those talks? Um, that, that's a really interesting question. I think, uh, we were very much in the field, uh, but I think it was good to see things like, I mean, the DAOs, uh, the legal perspective on that. Um, I think one of the key insights that I, that I learned, I, I, I forgot, uh, the name, but it was about how he formed a DAO and then basically he had to let go because when you form a DAO and then to achieve full decentralization, the whole point is that the, the, it's a self-governing organization. So they formed the DAO, they had an organization, they put it to run, and then after a while they dissolved the organization, the kind of like the LLC or the company that was doing it, and then the, the DAO is running. I think that was one of the uh, most interesting takes that I that I saw there. Uh, and I mean, you could tell a lot of like companies are trying to figure out the kind of like the NFTs. Uh, how to commercialize them. Uh, the ape coin came a couple of days later. I wasn't there, uh, but, but it was at the end of, of interactive when it happened. So, so that was also an interesting. When, what happened? To see, uh, the launch of the ape coin, the, Boeing's, oh. Uh, oh, they just launched the ERC 20, uh, ape coin token. So, so yeah, so that's, that's interesting, but that I was already in New York when that happened, but that was at the end of interactive. So I can imagine something must have happened during the event there. Yeah. How big a deal is that? How big is Bored Apes now, would you say? I mean, we're, we're people, yeah, tell yeah. me what your thoughts are. It, it's, I mean, it's huge. I mean, it's, it's still uncertain, right? Like it could be just a hype or anything, but uh, I think the team has been able to execute uh, pretty well. Uh, they have a strong brand. Uh, so I see, I mean, within the, all the uncertainty that we may be seeing the first kind of like consumer media company out of the Web3 world. And I mean, with this ApeCoin, uh, which they're kind of using, they use it to, to raise some capital, give some liquidity back to their, uh, to their people. Uh, but seeing Alexis Ohanian, for example, being on the board uh, there of the ApeCoin DAO, I mean, I, I don't know, like it, it does look that it's something big is happening there. Uh, I think they have demonstrated that they can execute uh, and that ha- they can think big. Uh, so I think we may be seeing one of the first like huge full consumer brands out of the Web3 world. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Are, are there any other specific crypto projects that you've been excited about recently? Um, hmm, that, that's a great question. Uh, well, we, we are working with a couple, uh, so I'm actually pretty, pretty excited and working, uh, very involved in one that is called Studio DAO, that it's about, uh, creating, uh, and funding companies and also basically, uh, that all the filmmakers, writers, they're a part of the DAO. So not only 
in the traditional model, there is a, a company like Netflix. They have some funds. They fund the content. They end up owning the content. Uh, so what the, the rest of the people see is not... It's not exactly everything that the content generates. Uh, I think that DAO, for example, is doing really interesting things in, in the in that sense. That uh, how do you create that collective of creators and they create and at the same time they all, everybody uh, gets rewarded by by the content they create. So I believe that at some point either a studio DAO or any other DAO in that field could become the next studio. Like what's what's the studio in the Web three world? Like. Uh, I mean, there's the Disney's of the world. There is like a universal pictures, but what's the, what's the next studio that has come out of this new web three economy, right? Mm. Do you think Disney, Pixar, these, these more traditional studios will have the ability to, to trans? I mean, to me, it seems like it could be a pretty fluid transition given that it's going to be likely a very technical and expensive build out. You know, if you're building entire worlds, uh, it's not going to be like just spinning up a website. It's going to be, you know, the person who can create the most entertaining and engaging and complex storylines is going to win. And, and I tend to feel like what we're seeing in media, where there's a lot of consolidation with Apple and Netflix and Amazon yeah. all spending tons and tons of money on media. It's like, it, it, it seems like there's a consolidation effect, which I imagine that same thing would be true in VR when it really rolls out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so the way that I see it is, uh, larger companies tend to be slower and risk adverse. So definitely you can see Disney, Sony was doing something, but they're more into creating NFTs, some sort of reward mechanism, uh, collectability and all that. So you can see that. So I think just as Netflix was kind of like the, the new studio from the web 2.0 world, I believe there's going to be a web 3.0 version of what, what Netflix was, what uh, Disney was before, uh, or, and they still are. I think uh, we may find out that there's going to be I don't know a sixth player in the in the space. I, we we have done a lot of a lot of uh, streaming and entertainment uh, in the past, so I know I, I've seen the consolidation. I saw Fox and Disney merge directly. Like we we basically were uh, working with with both of the companies, and we saw the the collision of those uh, uh, planets basically. And, and the same thing, I, I just see that there's going to be a space, like there's still the need for different content. We kind of saw it with Netflix that they started to fund content in Latin America and it's Europe. So you start to see all those things. And I'm always wondering, what are we missing? Like, what is that content that somebody for some reason didn't want to fund? But uh, given the right conditions in the more decentralized way, we can see that content being funded, being, being uh, produced, being commercialized, right? It's a good question or a good way to think about it, whether there's a, a gap in the market for funding for content. Um, certainly the first thing that comes to mind is really edgy content, right? Whether it's like sexually explicit or vulgar or horrific, but I don't even think that that necessarily is, there's a, there's a, I don't think that there's a big market that's not being addressed because of some unwillingness to fund it. You know, it seems like for the most part, the, the, the big hits are, uh, storylines like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, uh, action movies. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I love you. I love talking to you. I was really excited to, to dive in with you because you have this visibility with Hello Ionic and that you see sort of underneath so many companies. Most people I talk to, they have the vantage point of their company, which 
whatever it's doing, it's usually pretty interesting or innovative, but, but you guys are helping other companies build out their product strategy and, and engineering teams and that kind of thing. Uh, you've mentioned, this is the list I have Disney, ABC, uh, like you said, Fox, I'm sure you've worked with a, a ton of other awesome companies. Is there, are there patterns? Like the first thing I want to ask you is when you, when you first get into a company, when, you know, they bring you guys in, you're the SWAT team. Uh, how do you, what's your protocol on assessing where the product is? Let's keep it within the, the product realm, but how do you sort of calibrate and figure out what's going on? Cause it could be kind of overwhelming, especially for really large companies. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, so it's interesting because we work, uh, uh, at Hello Iconic, we work with different kind of companies. Uh, so we work with the very large business of the world. We work with early stage, uh, recently funded companies as well. And we also work uh, a lot with Series A. So it's those companies that have a product and need to kind of like expand. And all of them behave in, a, in different ways. So for example, the large ones, uh, normally they already have uh, some infrastructure in place. And so they bring you kind of like to add capacity but at the same time, move faster or create a product, but within that has to be compatible with the infrastructure that they already have. So, for example, they asked us, okay, can you develop for us the Roku app? Uh, but they already have all the backends, like all the streaming. So it's a lot of, okay, understanding what's your product on other platforms? Uh, what are the specifics, for example, for Roku? And then what's the architecture and the infrastructure that I already have? A lot of who is the owner of each of those things? Because at those companies, you have to kind of like uh, uh, understand who owns that. And it's normally like a, a, an infrastructure person. There is a content platform. There is a, a client-based platform. There are There's the uh, PMO that's called. So it's a lot of people. So I think the challenge in very large companies, it's a lot about what's the goal, but at the same time, okay, what's the current setting? Who are the who are the key people there, how to coordinate that and then move that forward. So, so that's one of the things that I see uh, on smaller companies. Like uh, if they're very early, it's actually about normally people, when they want to launch a product like a startup, they have an idea, but then in reality, they have a lot of ideas and the product could be in different ways. So part of our job is trying, trying to understand, okay, this is all that you want to build but where do you want to go first and try to lead them through a process where we can understand that, help them like prioritize, then kind of like design, define some flows, design, and then we can build something. Sometimes it's about, are there technical risks or is that that you want to build? Is it possible? Uh, so we build a proof of concept. It's like, okay, uh, we understand you. If this is, I don't know, in crypto or is in fintech, let's just build this component of it just to see if your hypothesis is, is possible. And then if that's possible, then, okay, let's build the rest of the product and the business around it. So that's that's on those stages. And then uh, Series A startup, for example, that already have a product, already have a team. It's all about joining with speed. So basically, is you have to be ready to run. It's like, okay, we want to work with you, want to hire you. We have this product uh, and we want to launch this feature. We're going to put you in charge of that specific feature. So it's about forming the team and then just plugging right away and then run, run with it. Like <laughs> just launching, I don't know, uh, two months, three months or something like that. And then coordination. Uh, so that it, that's all of the, all of those uh, are different beasts in, in there are different stages, but it's really fun to, to do all of them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I find that the larger companies are the most opaque to me. When you look at a product, say like a a hardware software product, like the Amazon Echo, what's your estimation as to how many different, uh, would that be something that Amazon could build entirely in house or would they typically contract out portions of that for some reason? And, and, and how would, I mean, I use Amazon Echo as an example project, but how would people in that position think of building out a product like that? Because at that scale, when you launch a product, like it's different when, even though you're building using many of the same tools and technologies as you would when you're a startup and you're launching a new product, when you're a multi-trillion dollar company and you launch a new product, they, I'm sure, go about it much differently, uh, whether it's testing the market applicability or launch strategy or just the the hardware software itself yeah what, what's your reaction to that well i think it's it's uh based on what i've seen at least right uh it, it's impossible for for any company of that size to do everything internally uh, in some sort of capacity being qa being being designed being uh just the conceptualization of the product being uh, development, software development. And I mean, a hardware product has the, the hardware development, the software development. Uh, there is some, in some capacity, there's subcontracting, there's consulting, there is uh, staff augmentation. I'm pretty sure, uh, well, I, I don't have visibility on, on, on such a product, but I've seen it in other uh, companies. It's, it's really impossible because, uh, I mean, there is so many uh, resources and there are so many initiatives so at the end, you will do something, but, but at the same time, you normally need to expand your team and bring expertise. Like, uh, there, this, that's part of the, for example, in, in our case, uh, we decided, okay, let's just be great at fintech. Let's just be great at crypto. Uh, and it was because of that. It's like, okay, we're great at product, but we need to be great at an industry. So when somebody that is in this space wants to hire us, let's just be sure that we're ready. We know the tools. We have the partnership. Like, oh, everything checks. Everything checks. So we can, as I was saying, Go in, plug, and run uh, instead of just like okay, start to doing the research. So I'm pretty sure, like I, I'm thinking back on the echo question. I mean, design of the of some of the prototyping, uh, some may be internal, but some things may be external. I'm, mm. I, I would imagine that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When, when you guys focus on crypto and fintech. Uh, are there specific, are there patterns that you're seeing in the crypto companies that are out there or payment companies where they're looking for, uh, you know, they're all trying to ICO maybe in 2017, or they're all launching, uh, coins uh, a couple of years ago, yeah. or they're all launching NFTs. It, it seems like there's this, um, industry specific pattern, maybe on web three more than others, but similar, I think on other, other industries as well. For crypto, are you seeing that? Is everyone trying to get NFTs out the door or and you guys are effectively trying to help them do that? Or are there there other things that crypto companies are trying to do now? Yeah. So right now, definitely NFTs is one of the key things that I'm seeing. The good thing is that it doesn't, I am always surprised. So there are normally like, well, I want to create an NFT collection and launch. We are less of those. Like, uh, like in our case, we we don't. Uh, uh, that's not our best fit. It's normally okay. I want to create a platform that uses NFTs for this specific uh, use case. Uh, so we are seeing things like I don't know NFTs for uh, related to real world. Uh, so we're working with a company 
uh, doing that. We're uh, doing uh, another one, NFTs for more kind of like a social app. Uh, so that's super interesting. Then definitely like a marketplace. I, I guess we're going to see a couple of market niche marketplaces uh, because I've seen like uh, I've seen a couple of companies that want to build like niche marketplace, like a NFTs for I don't know, Latin America, NFTs for this type of art. So that's another thing that I see. And then for more uh, financial like fintechs, it's more about being able to trade. So there are a couple of tools uh, that you could use, like backends like Prime Trust, Zero Hash, um, Paxos, that basically give you like kind of like a prepackaged trading platform or backend so that you can integrate to your fintech. So that's the thing I see. The more more full fintech financial, they are going more to, towards the, the path of using something like that, like the Prime Trust, like Paxos, the Zero Hash. So that's one thing that I see. Then the more kind of like on the edge are trying to do more using NFTs as some sort of part of, of I don't know, a platform that they're building. Uh, the other thing that I see on those is they're toying with the idea of, okay, a DAO, for example, is, is a DAO a good structure for me? With all the un- uncertainties, right? What's the best legal structure? How do we make it that it's not a security? Uh, so that's the other pattern that I see that it's, do we go traditional? And just uses NFTs as part of the business that we're doing, or do we go all in and it's like NFT play with a DAO uh, involved as well? What, what value is Paxos and Zero Hash providing? You mentioned them. Yeah, so that that's a great question. So basically, uh, and, and this is something that we see in the industry, right? And that's something that I like of what's happening on this. Uh, I think the terms are open, open banking, open finance world, right? Uh, so I could. I could see that we can separate the fintechs in two spaces. There are the fintechs that are consumer facing and there are fintechs that are infrastructure providers. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in the infrastructure providers, there are traditional that we know for connecting bank accounts. MX, for example, they were partners, uh, Plaid or, or ACH with Walla, for example, things like that. So, so you see those are more infrastructure providers. They can serve multiple fintechs in what they do. And then, then you see the consumer facing fintechs. Uh, I mean, in the past, the mints of the world and all that, that they touch the end, end consumer, right? And now you see other companies, Wealth, Kinley, like a lot of those, uh, consumer fintechs. So those consumer fintech tend to hire those infrastructure fintechs. So there is a new trend, for example, that if you want to, uh, create a, a neo bank, uh, you don't need to create your core banking backend. Uh, and there is, for example, Galileo has been uh, in the space for a while, uh, but there are companies that are doing that. Uh, Rise, for example, is a great example that they have uh, the banking accounts, so uh, checking, savings uh, account, uh, program management for, for cards. Uh, they do have brokerage, so they provide you the API. Uh, so instead of you creating everything, they just like, okay, create a bank account for this user, and they handle everything. They communicate with the bank. Uh, so basically, they provide you that. So going back to your question, uh, on the crypto space, those uh, ramp up, ramp down um, you know, platforms that are called Prime Trust, Zero Hash, Paxos, they provide you that. Like if I want to trade crypto, um, instead of building an exchange or building something like that, they already provide you an API that then you can create kind of like the front-facing, consumer-facing platform. And then you use that API for, for doing all that. And, and, uh, it's, uh, you don't own that core banking, but at the same time, it's already reliable. It's secure. You can launch pretty fast. 
I mean, we have done implementations and I mean, launching a, a, a neobank or being ready for certification because there are steps for that in two months, for example. Wow. Just because that accelerates so much that other side of things that it would have taken years uh, to build a fintech in the past. But with that, you can actually launch something pretty quickly. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately. Exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, and more. The handler one day told her this whole thing about how they've been terraforming on Mars, and they're building a colony, and they're recruiting specific people of specific bloodlines and specific talents and skill sets to go onto the planet. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting uh, evolution if you think about it from an abstract perspective. It's like you, the the bank doesn't even need to own the technology behind the banking part of the bank, right? And it's like, that sounds kind of crazy, but I don't want to own the hosting part of my website. You know, I, I'd rather just outsource that to AWS, let them handle it and know that whatever I'm paying in the subscription, you're getting more than that because whatever they're building is being distributed to everyone. So, I mean, hence the magic of software, right? Why build it a hundred times or a thousand times instead of just build it once, sell it, sell it and let people build on top of it. Exactly. And, and to your point, like that's what we see. Like basically we see the consumer facing fintech. That is the one that creates the bond with the community. That's why we're seeing many niche fintech, uh, like Latino base or like some sort of cohort 
based. And then you see the infrastructure provider, fintech, that are serving many of those. And then, and then they, they are not banks either. They basically connect to a servicing bank that is a one that is specializing in commercial loans, another one that is specializing in personal loans, uh, and things like that. Like one that is more the, uh, credit card provider, for example. Uh, so all those things, you, you see it, you see them in the back. You see Visa, like we are thinking, okay, this is revolutionary, but in the back, you always see Visa and, and, and MasterCard there. They're, they're servicing all of those companies, which is really interesting because, uh, we, there is an ecosystem that is happening and there's a lot of interconnection. And that's what I like that basically you, you can, you kind of see, okay, okay. You have to classify, okay, this player does this, this player does this. Uh, and then, and then it's about connecting the dots a little bit. And that's what I like because as we see many companies and, and we're doing partnerships, we are able to connect those dots so we can go out quickly. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Are, is there, uh, certain technologies that are being adopted now more than previously? I, I mean, whether it's specific coding languages or frameworks or methodologies, anything that, uh, stands out to you as being something you've seen across multiple companies in recent years? Well, definitely, definitely, uh, mobile react native. That's something that I see, for example, in terms of, of languages, I know we have like full native philosophy. We have, uh, flutter in the space, but I definitely see react native as the winner. Like uh, we see it all the time. That that's one of that we see. Why is that uh, react? We see, yeah. Uh, react native. Uh, yeah. So that's one. Yeah. And React for the web front end. That's another one that I see. Why, why is that? Are they, what are they doing that other tools aren't do, doing out there? So React Native is multi-platform, which is great, uh, but it has great performance. I think the, the, the success of React Native is that it follows already what React does. So a developer that already knows React for the web, React JS, can easily transport that knowledge to React Native. Uh, they're not the same and they're not equal, completely equal, but they're pretty similar. That's actually one of the reasons when we started to evaluate, okay, do we go for a more multi-platform? We were born as a full native uh, company, right? Uh, but we're like, okay, no, let's actually explore these things more openly. And then we went through React Native just because it optimized a lot of the knowledge that we already had. It has great, great performance. You cannot notice actually like that, that it's a multi-platform framework because they actually generate native components once, once you compile and, and, and all that. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's one of the things. The other thing is that being multi-platform, uh, there is the advantage that you need a smaller team, uh, to launch an app. Like right. normally before it was at least two iOS developer, at least two Android developers. And then that's four people. Then you could have, instead of on the multi-platform React Native, you can have two engineers, for example. Uh, so that reduces cost. Uh, so I think that's, that's one of the things. On, on the back end though, I, I don't see patterns. Like I see some people using, uh, we use, uh, Ruby on Rails, uh, Nest.js, Node.js, but we see people using Clojure, for example. We have a client that uses Clojure. So we have trained people. Uh, I, I was talking with a good friend that is, uh, in Mercury. Mercury uses Haskell, uh, of all things as well. So I see, like, I see different things. I know Nubank uses Haskell as well. We were talking about that. Uh, so I don't know, like on the backend languages, I don't see a pattern. Um, and then, and then on the specific fintech and all those, definitely, um, 
well, MX, for example, Banking Connection or Plaid, uh, then Rise, I, I see them a lot. Uh, there are a couple of player, more players there, Galileo, a unit, for example, uh, Payroll, Pinwheel, Atomic, uh, that's another one that we see. Uh, I, I was mentioning Prime Trust, Zero Hash, uh, Paxos for, um, for crypto. Yeah, so we, we see a couple of those. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I recognize some of those names. Um, <laughs> uh, do you think, how do you, what do you think the relationship is between, uh, say Apple and Google and the team that's building out the react native? Cause if I think about it, Apple is spending a lot of money and time building out their, uh, native code environment on yeah. Swift, I believe. And if yeah. they're, if people are, say, half the market or 70% of the market is yeah. using yeah. React Native or another native cross-platform tool, yeah. it kind of makes the the whole point of developing, you know, because Apple is going to make great documentation. They're going to yeah. do, do all this stuff that's consumer-facing, trying to attract developers. Meanwhile, it's like somebody's building a layer on top of them so yeah. that so that you're... How do you, is that something that you think is going to, trend in one direction like apple ends up just succumbing to this idea that it's going to be cross-platform and there end up becoming like a standard like singular uh standard for building and then you know apple google and it opens the door for more mobile platforms yeah i don't think that happens yeah (laughs) i honestly like i've been in this uh, for for a while like for a long and i don't see them Doing it. The good thing of how React Native is built, though, is that uh, there is the space. We always do some native work. Like, uh, for example, if you want to do more uh, very specific app clips, for example, for for an app uh, or iMessage integration. So that's going to be you. You have to create an extension that it's a uh, that it's uh, in Swift, for example, and then and then you do that. Uh, I think they're so. It's already so built, like the, their platforms are already so integrated to what they do that I don't see that happening. Like, uh, uh, like Android is definitely Kotlin, like a JVM thing. And then, and then Apple is, is definitely going Swift. Uh, well, they, they have Objective C, but it's more, mostly Swift. So I don't think, I, I don't think they're gonna, I think we're gonna continue with this for years. And, and again, like the good thing of something like React Native is that the, it actually uses that native uh, element to it and you can expand it and connect. Um, so that's that's the trend and I think it's going to continue for, for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting to think about because on some level it feels almost like a failure if Apple is building and Google are building out these tools and then people aren't even using them. They're just yeah. becoming absorbed into the ne- next layer of abstraction. It's like, what if what if no one ends up building on Swift? They all use React Native because it's, you know, yeah. or something similar to that. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no, I don't know. But I mean, that's that's just the history of, uh, I mean, compilers, there was uh, machine level uh, programming, then there were assembly compilers, then were high level compilers, then were visual uh, tools that combine the compiler. So that's the history. Like there's always... There is always that next level of abstraction. Some people are very purists. No, I have to write. But I mean, in reality, how many people do really write machine level code? Yeah. It's, it's very few, right? So, so I think it's just as, as we want to become more productive, as we want to solve more complex problems, uh, we are always going towards that higher level of uh, abstraction, right? Yeah. What's after this? What comes next? What, le- what level of abstraction? 
I don't know. Like there's always the promise of the no code, uh, like there are no code tools and then there's the AI. Uh, well, AI hasn't performed that, like has performed on specific tasks, but not on such a high level kind of thing. Uh, definitely uh, low code is something that is important, like frameworks that help you solve um, more more specifically. Uh, but But basically that I can launch, for example, a fintech with, very rapidly, but at the same time, I can modify it. So I think that's one thing. We are actually uh, are building on our internal tool that does precisely that. It has all the ready-made integrations. Uh, so we can really quickly, I mean, literally, our, our goal is to have first version in, in, in minutes and then just expand it and having a POC in a week or, or so. But, uh, but I see the trends of the no-code solutions that are more kind of like Webflow did for web. Mm. Uh, doing that for for apps, I, I've seen a couple Thunkable. Um, uh, I do forget a couple. I, I just feel that whenever you want to do like a production ready, fully launched uh, that you can, ex- you can expand, you kind of feel short. So I'm more a low code believer, but but definitely I see those two there: yeah. like low code solutions and the no code solutions. Yeah. Do, do you do you know anyone that's not using a mouse or keyboard? I, I a few years ago I saw some products that were coming out pretty early on in beta, but they were using eye tracking to, to engage as a replacement to the mouse or uh, like a, a visual sensory, uh, like an optical sensor to know where your hands were to replace the, the punching of the keyboards. Certainly VR changes all that because if you're not using a two-dimensional screen to interact with the computer, then you know if you're in a 3D world, yeah. there's just much more context there. Do you, I, in some ways, I, I I can I can see the tools that I'm using now and see how primitive they are, almost like a yeah, you know, rewind the clock. <laughs> do, do, is that do you get that feeling yeah. as well? Do you, in some way, do you see it transcending yeah. soon? Yeah, I think maybe I'm I'm old already in the sense that I, so I've seen I've tried a couple. I I remember I bought a sensor for interaction with my hands. Uh, I I. I when it came to Kinect, I did those early tests of connecting the Kinect and using it as an interface. Uh, the thing is the efficiency of the tools that we have, like keyboards are super fast for writing. But you know what I've seen? That it's a, really a trend now that you mentioned. Um, so a lot of our clients now use those note recorders. So every time you start a Zoom call, uh, there is an additional bot there that is just recording everything and transcribes it. I don't know what happens at the, on the other side, but that's a, that's actually a trend that I've seen that it's, uh, it's, and it's really useful because it basically just does the notes, but, but on input devices for of other type, uh, no, I don't know anyone. Uh, maybe I'll just hang out with old people. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, it's going to happen some point. Um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, what about, um, what about on crypto specifically? Are there uh, are there are there platforms that you're seeing that are gaining uh, more traction, or um, maybe methodologies that are, are are gaining more or less traction that you're seeing? Um, yeah, in the industry. Well, definitely. Uh, I mean, on the Web three space, that's where we move the most. Uh, you always see the Ganache and Truffle for development for yeah. sure. Uh, we always see the open Zeppelin contracts as a basis for ERC20 tokens and, and, uh, NFTs and all that. Uh, on more 
uh, evolved platforms. I'm, I really like what Juicebox is doing. I don't know if you've seen them. It's where Constitution DAO was. Oh, okay. Funded. Yeah, they're launching their so, second version. Let me ask you that. Yeah. Uh, so when these guys made Constitution DAO, how, I know many people are familiar with the project. From your technical yeah. perspective, how much technical work went into building Constitution DAO? Like anywhere yeah. from none to... You know, they spent uh, thousands of hours. Like, what what went into that technically to spin that up from from their yeah. perspective? From the so so the interesting thing is that Constitution DAO as a project didn't create the technology. They so there was the Juicebox team that they had created Juicebox. They had uh, some some success. Like there were some projects being funded and everything. And then all of a the sudden, there is this 43 million project that uh, that appeared, like gained so much traction. Uh, they got funded. I know they, they were working uh, because I saw them work for another DAO called SharkDAO. So at least they had, um, let me think, at least they had like six months of being of working on it. Um, and uh, I guess it probably has was is one of those things that was intense for a couple of months. And then you start to see, okay, is, it, does it have traction or not? And then all of a sudden, this uh, 43 million project gets funded there. And that, that helped people discover Juicebox. So I know their treasury got huge. Like they had, I, I don't know how much money they had at the beginning, but then all of a sudden, I, I think they raised like $20 million uh, on their uh, Juicebox, which was uh, super funny. So I think, yeah, they probably took like a couple of months. Uh, it's on a Discord that's fully open source. So it's really fun to see. We're interacting basically uh, for this project, Studio DAO, we, we are building on top of Juicebox. Uh, so it's really cool just to see and, and the, the, how they think about making a protocol for funding and, and less than just a platform, uh, as you normally see on, on uh, I don't know, Kickstarter or similar. They're thinking about the protocol and how to extend it and where do they stop and where us, for example, can extend it. So that's, that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, yeah. How about, you know, after COVID and pandemic, everyone went remote and so many com- companies are now completely distributed across the globe or at least, you know, across North and South America yeah. or vertically across their time zone. Are you um, seeing a, a large growth in South America? Certainly before, I'm sure, the pandemic, it's true, but are you uh, are, are you seeing companies growing out of South America or more or less uh, people joining engineering teams and development teams, maybe marketing teams? Yeah, so both. Uh, so definitely this is this. I think this is going to be the decade for Latin America yeah. engineering uh, in the sense that, uh, I mean, hiring, uh, we, we do constant hiring, right? And we can see uh, a lot of the competition uh, like a few years ago. It wasn't that common, but now you see startups that are uh, working with re- recruiting agencies, they're working more with agencies. Like in the past, I think like if, if you saw it, I don't know, 20 years ago, it, w- it was all about India, right? And then 10 years ago, it, w- it was about East Europe probably. Uh, but right now you can see team growing in Latin America. Uh, we're super happy because we've been in the space uh, for so long. So just seeing how, how our countries are thriving there in Latin America, that that's great. So there is a lot of the hiring, like joining as an engineer, as a designer, as a marketer, uh, similar culture, similar time zone and all that. Uh, the other thing that we're also seeing is tech companies being born in Latin America. And we have really interesting successes. New Bank just did IPO. So that's a neobank based in Brazil and Colombia, now Mexico. 
it's entirely built mm. in Latin America, for example. So that's a great example. We see the Platzis of the world that's more in the education space. I mean, there are a couple, like, I think now, I remember even a few years ago, there were n- no unicorns, one unicorn in Argentina or something like that. And then out of the southern, I think we were under 10 to 15 unicorns, which is still feels small, but you have to be cognizant of the stage that Latin America. It's also a small country. I mean, they're only, what, 20 million, something like that? There are 30 million people. They, right. No, not really, because if you think about the aggregate Latin America, it's, I think it's half a billion people. Oh, oh, yeah. Take Ar- Argentina, Brazil, 45 million. Colombia, Argentina. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, but if you see like the aggregate, uh, definitely, uh, that's, that's the interesting thing that there is a high, like, it's a big area. There's a lot of people. There's a lot, there's great engineering. There are great engineering schools. Uh, so definitely I see that as a trend. And I would believe that this is definitely the decade for, for Latin America. You sound excited about that. Are you, I noticed the accent. Are you from, uh, somewhere in South America or have family down there or do you speak Spanish? What's yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was born and raised in Honduras. Okay. Uh, so and and, and uh, so I was doing business in the U.S. with a company, and then th- we decided to just open office, and that's how in 2016 I moved to LA with Alejandro, my business partner as well, and we said, okay, if if we want to grow the way we want to grow, let's just go put food in LA. We landed a contract with Disney, and then that's actually what propelled the company at the time. And then a couple of years ago is when we decided to, okay, now let's expand and diversify. So fintech, crypto were very natural to us. Uh, and then plus the other experience in entertainment. Yeah. And about six, 60 people in the company. Is that right? Yeah. So right now we are 70 plus and growing. So I think our next goal is uh, 100 people by July. I think we're going to be at that milestone. And then from that, we're also doing a play, again, do, building this framework. So we want to grow not only in size of people, but actually have more uh, technology solutions uh, play. Uh, that's that's what we believe. Like uh, we don't want to be a Globant or a EPAM or something like that that have ten thousand people. Uh, we we see ourselves more as uh, helping you with solutions, more personal, but at the same time having ready-made solutions, a framework for developing fast. So th- what's the difference there? You're saying you don't want to be a Globant, uh, meaning you don't want to be too large, or yeah, so, so if you see the industry of the software development agencies, there are different philosophies and everything, right? So, uh, but one of them is, uh, I am good because I am big. Mm. Uh, so the big ones of the world tend to be, yeah, Globant. Uh, there are several, but I, I know Globant from Argentina and then IPAM that is on, in East Europe, uh, Russia and, and such. Um, so, so they are huge companies, publicly traded. But they are in the job of selling people uh, to companies, right? So that's kind of like their model. Uh, so those are the gorillas in the in the market, for example. Uh, and then there are others that are more smaller agencies, um, like our niche-based agencies and everything. Uh, we see ourselves uh, more into okay, we want to grow, uh, but at the same time, we want to grow in a in a model where it's not only about selling people time to companies, but actually providing value and expertise in something like the spent the crypto, having solutions already for launching quickly, things like that. So creating a framework uh, that can yeah. help you do that pretty quickly. How did you go from, was it simple to go from Honduras to LA to landing this deal with Disney? I mean, it was immigration simple or was it, was there major challenges to do that? I mean, I would imagine it's probably not as easy as you're making it sound. 
<laughs> it, it, it's, uh, I mean, the good thing of uh, both entrepreneurs and, and immigrants, we just, we're, we're going to continue doing it until we succeed, right? So it, it was it was a process for sure. Like, uh, I mean, from the uh, first, the fear of, okay, will I make it? Uh, do I have enough money? So doing the finance, the financial model for that, uh, hiring a lawyer, working on the process. Uh, so that was looking for the right visa. We wanted to have a visa that would allow us to to grow, to stay, uh, to expand. So we we use one that is called L1 visa, which is basically we open an office here and then we transfer ourselves from the Honduras office to the U.S. Uh, so that was that was super interesting. In the middle, there were hiccups. They asked for different information. You're not a, such a huge company. But the law doesn't restrict the size of the company, but they have to be sure that you're a company that will come here and, and succeed and grow. So it's a, it's a lot of paperwork. Uh, we had a couple of rejections in the middle that we had to um, we had to appeal and then won. Uh, I mean, that was it, it's all a process. Uh, but gladly, uh, last year I, I like we 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 were doing that all the time, renewing and everything. Last year I got my. Uh, permanent residence. I feel like nice. 30% of my brain is uh, now free <laughs> uh, because you always have that in your mind. Like, it's like, okay, I'm building all this and we are being successful. But at the same time, I have to worry about renewing my visa again. And I'm in the middle of this uh, permanent residency process. Uh, will it, will it happen or not? Uh, so that's, that's difficult. I mean, it could be easier uh, for sure. I would love that the process would be easier, but at the same time, I mean, I'm, I'm a persistent person. So, so it's, uh, I don't take no for an, like I, I, if I think that we can, I can definitely do something and should like, I, I I'm really persistent. So, so yeah, (laughs) we finally succeeded at that stage. How many people were in the company when you, when you moved it to the U S cause it sounds like L one allows you to start a company somewhere else in another country, open an office here, transfer yourself here. Like you said, which to me is a, a, a great way to do it if you have, say, a large business and you want to move people there. But I can certainly see the the gap there if people were to take advantage of that instead of, say, immigrating through the standard, uh, forget the name of the H-1B, H-1B yeah. right. Instead of that, say, hey, let's spin up a company, I have some money, and then let's transfer myself there. Is it is there, I would imagine that loophole may not actually be there? Yeah, no, the, the, there is no loophole mm-hmm. in that sense. The, the good thing is the law doesn't require you to have a specific number of people, but it must be an operating business. And that's a good thing. We had a real operating business. And one thing that the lawyer always told us is, look, uh, I'm afraid about this, like the size, like so, some of those signs. But the good thing is that you're a real operating business. So we had mm-hmm. uh, statements, we had employees, we had all, all that. Uh, to your question, we were small, we were tiny at the time, like we were five people. Most of the time, we, when we were at the end of that process and planning on moving, we hired two more people. So it's funny because we were seven people when we, when we just landed here. Uh, and I, and I mean, then, then when we, la- we landed the, co- the contract with Disney in the process of doing that, um, just because of a technology that, uh, they were using from us, but, but basically that, that propelled us to the next step. So we were, from seven to twenty something pretty quickly, like in months. Uh, so that that was an interesting process. But but your question to the L one, the key thing is that you have a real operating business, 
and then you transfer your executive. You can actually do that transfer by cre creating a plan of what your business is going to be. They give you a one-year visa uh, that it's kind of like the new office. And that's what they gave us. Although we were already working, like we were already traveling a lot to the U.S. We, we were already incorporated in the U.S. and doing business. But since we didn't have an office and nobody from us and from our company was here, they, they consider us a, a, like a, a, a new office type of visa. Uh, so that was a year. And then after that year, you have to prove a couple of things that we did, that we opened the office, that we're selling, that we're doing several things, the next step of the plan. And then, and then, yeah, and then it was a couple of times of every two years we had to right. kind of, you have to kind of show where you are, where you're going. Uh, you have to sell a little bit the the company, right? So it sounds pretty pretty uh, subjective. Like the, you're submitting this paperwork in, and then you're just it's not a black and white thing. You're just kind of hoping it's enough. It in, it, it is not. Uh, although, um, you you know what the the asks are pretty specific. Uh, it is subjective in a sense because there is a person that. But I think if you follow a good structure. Uh, well, I changed lawyers in, in the middle. So I've been working with the, with the, my other lawyer and saw the difference on how well they, like, well, the law says this, 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 and this. So let's answer all of them. It's like, okay, this person uh, applies because of this and this, this, and th like, this is uh, true because this, this is true because of this, this, and this, this is true. And then thus, because the law says this and we have proven that all of this, then this is what's uh, like, you should get it. And uh, I mean, the way of the structure of the message was so impressive to me. And I mean, no, no, uh, I think they asked for one additional document and then it was approved. Uh, so, so there is some subjectivity, but at the same time, I think it's about how well you structure the message according to the law. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. Do you feel like the process is fair? I mean, uh, there's been a lot of political agitation about immigration and and certainly Trump yeah. had that as his primary one of his primary ideas on trying to decrease Im immigration to me there's there's a lot of political debate on immigration but in my view and I, I'd love yeah. to hear your reaction to this it seems like the 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 move should be make immigration easier for people who are uh are people that would uh make the society better and we could you could talk about that yeah. but uh, make it easier for those people uh, but then also make it make it harder for people to come in uh mm -hmm. illegally so there, there's also less of an incentive because I, I don't think yeah. even the people coming in illegally or, or undocumented don't want to come in undocumented but they have no yeah, other means to come in and if you just made it much much easier like immigration 
it just makes, you know, the bigger your market, the more goods and services you have. So I'm, the, the, this idea that people take jobs is so ridiculous uh, because yeah. people, we all help each other, right? Whatever people do, if it's valuable in society, it's because it's creating value and, and offering value to other people. So anyways, do you feel like the immigration process is fair or do you feel like it's dramatically broken? Like where, where are we on that spectrum? Yeah, I actually think that both are true in the sense, I, I think it, it, it was fair according to the laws that are that exist right now. What I don't think is that the laws and the processes that exist right now are are necessary good. <laughs> uh, so that's what I, what I think. Yeah, I think I, I was treated fairly in my process, but uh, it was outdated, it was super slow. Some things were not clear. Uh, there should be models for certain type of... Uh, uh, of visas, um, and there should be, I, I am a strong believer. There should be a path for people that are here that have been here for years and they are yeah, already totally, totally. giving a lot to the society. So I think, so in the sense that I think the laws that exist, I was treated fairly, but I think that we should change the laws and update them to the reality of, of this century. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, as the internet allows for people to work so easily across borders, but yet we still have these age old outdated, uh, rules as to where you can physically live. It seems like there's, it seems like the, the fact that people are so integrated across societies and countries, you can work in a, you know, a company with a thousand people and they might have people at 50 or 70 different countries. And that's only going to continue to happen. And as people, become more intermeshed together it seems like we there's there's increasing social pressure to make a make the uh physical travel more fluid which uh, yeah. i hope happens yeah. how about uh, i want to ask you this how about uh english so english is the has been the dominant language that the internet was written in you know with the internet being yeah. Yeah invented in the US and, and in Western countries is kind of proliferated first. Now, of course, it's everywhere in the world, the internet, but so much of software just has a, uh, a fundamental English core construct to it. With people in, in South America speaking native Portuguese and Spanish for the most part, and obviously in other parts of the world, people speak all different languages. Do, do you see a change in that or is English becoming sort of the, the default standard of the internet and that's the way you see it for the foreseeable future when everyone learns English for that purpose or how are people working together ac- across uh, you know, many different countries like that? Yeah, no, I think English is lingua franca for sure, both for commerce and for programming. From even the fact that programming languages, the keywords are in English, like, uh, if you think about it, even from the basic constructs of programming languages, they are in English. So I think it's lingua franca. Uh, you see, like, uh, there is a lot of influence from, especially the U.S. Uh, to Latin America. So uh, a lot of the people in Latin America understands uh, some of the English. They may have problems uh, speaking it, although there is a lot of bilingual education. So there's a lot of people that speak English. In our case, uh, we see two tracks in people. Normally, they're people that already have come from a bilingual education or they learn it at college. They speak and read pretty well. So we have uh, that group of people. And then for those that don't, what we really did is we're like, I mean, you're really good. We have a, we, are, we create a partnership with an English education company. It's actually the American school <laughs> uh, in Honduras. So basically we, we just, uh, 
take them to a fast track. It's a year, year and a half of full English. Uh, we have also coaches for conversation just because, I mean, uh, they're, they're really good. It's just like it's, it's a communication problem. And, uh, but we can solve that. There are solutions for that. And, and we've seen it. It's very successful. People are grateful. Um, uh, clients, uh, they don't notice it. Like they're super happy. They feel like, uh, yeah. yeah, they have a English speaking person. Yeah. I'm actually, I, I'm personally, I'm testing this app called Bold Voice. It's a Y Combinator, uh, recently out that it's uh, about pronunciation. Just because I think the next level, uh, without losing our, I think our accents are a part of our identity or, and the beauty of how we speak, right? But at the same time, I think there, it's, it's a good practice to learn a little bit more the pronunciation. So the communication is clearer. Uh, so I'm trying that app and, and see what happens, but it's, I'm very early in the, in the first few weeks of, of, uh, of using it. So what does it do? It gives you feedback and, and your pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives you, it's a, like a AI. So they have videos of how to pronounce things and then some exercises and it uses AI just to check how good you, your pitch yeah. and like, uh, so one of the things that I've discovered in, in that is that in English, and I had noticed it unintentionally, but, uh, you use a lot your throat, like kind of like, uh, there is a hum on, on many of the words and the vowels and the consonants. I wasn't aware of that. That in Spanish, you, you talk more in from, from your mouth. Uh, so, so it does, that's why when, when we Latinos speak English, it sounds a little bit different, uh, to the U.S. Even a U.S. based Latino is just because we use more the mouth than, than the throat. Oh, interesting. I never thought about that. It's a, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder, I mean, it seems like I, I think about what it takes for the entire world to be able to work together. Cause that's like the holy grail of, uh, yeah. human flourishing and, and kind of yeah. online renaissance of sorts. And certainly the, the, <laughs> the revolution around the sun makes it so that unless people, you know, are nocturnal, we're, we're going to have the time zone problem for the foreseeable future. And so, yeah. you know, so like, yeah. like you were alluding to earlier when the craze came around of the U.S. offshoring jobs to India, well, we actually learned that there's a huge price you pay for, uh, language, for culture, and definitely for time zone differences. Uh, South America is a lot more interesting for that benefit. Um, yeah. on, uh, on, on blockchain payments, company growing, we've talked about a lot of stuff, anything that you wanted to throw out in the last few minutes, any, uh, any ideas that have been topical for you or, uh, trends that you've seen that you think others may not have seen or books or people that you learn from. I'm just throwing some cues out there. That's yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I think the, the, one of the main trends that definitely, uh, I alluded to earlier was the there is there is already a lot of infrastructure in place uh, in this new age of fintech and and crypto, especially in fintech. I would say that it's so interesting because uh, we are starting to see a lot of b- different business models and a lot of niches uh, like serving a specific niche that I think it wasn't really possible that easily before. Uh, I mean, the fact that there are those infrastructures already makes it faster, cheaper, uh, and it's all about connecting the dots. So, so now I'm like, what you would think before, like a few years ago, it's like, okay, I want to do this. Oh, that's going to be a heavy lift because I have to be, I don't know, I have to comply with all these things. And a lot of that is already prepackaged, uh, or solved at some point as to, to a certain point by, by a company. Uh, that it's a lot of the work. It's about connecting those dots. I think that's that's super important. 
that's definitely something that I see. And then, and then, yeah, I'm, the other thing that I'm thrilled is about the DAOs. I mean, they sort of like they, to me, they look so similar to I don't know co-ops. They have some corporation component, uh, but they are their own thing. And uh, there's definitely that vo- that legality void right now. Like, how how exposed are you if you're the origin, like the starting uh, team from a DAO? At some point, you are exposed. What if the SEC thinks this is a security, for example? But at the same time, the fact that organizations that give back to their members right away uh, are appearing, that's also super interesting to me just to see that concept of exit to community instead of like uh, that you form the community, but that community benefits. And at the same time, that community generates value, promotes uh, the company. So, so that's another thing that, I, that I'm definitely very interested. There is a book about it. Now that you talk about it, it's a Radical Markets book. I think it's, it's, it's a great reading about this side of things. Like we come from a world that thinks in a certain way, but with this tokenized economy, with these open markets, with these DAOs, for example, things are changing. And I like that he takes a really interesting approach of uh, trying to analyze like real estate, like uh, even like hiring, for example, uh, from that perspective. Uh, so that's a great book for sure that I, I would recommend to somebody that's interested in all this world of the of the DAOs and and, and all that. Say the name again. Uh, Radical markets. Markets. Yeah, I'll check that out. Uh, Jorge, congrats on all the progress. Yeah, I know you've been working on this business for a long time, uh, over 10 years, right? And you guys have yeah. made incredible progress. Uh, I really love the perspective that you have, you know, seeing the underbelly of so many of these companies. So it was really fun to get to know you, hear your, your perspectives, your thoughts on technology and countries and the, the world and how it's changing. So yeah, I wish you nothing but the best, man. And thanks for coming on today. Awesome. No, thank you. Super excited. Again, like, thank you for inviting me. This, this was great. Uh, great conversation. So thank you. And thank you, everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you.